welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 156. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now we do have another Q&A lined up for you. So Jack, I'm going to hit you up with this first question. It says, this week I heard on the radio that caffeine isn't a stimulant, but rather an adenosine blocker. Is this true? Well, part of it is true. Like it is a adenosine blocker, mm-hmm. but it is a stimulant as well. Yeah. So caffeine certainly is a central nervous system stimulant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a big misconception though about caffeine is that it gives us energy. It might give us the perceived feeling of more energy, but it doesn't contain energy. It doesn't give us energy in the form of like macronutrients or calories. Mm. So that's often confused with things that do give us energy like for example maybe intra-workout might give us the perceived feeling of more energy because it gives us carbohydrates yeah that's absolutely a really good point it's almost like you get that feeling that you're more energized without the calories Mm, which is probably why a lot of people opt for caffeinated beverages when they're dieting Mm. But yeah, the reason why caffeine works without giving us energy is that it is a stimulant and it works on the adenosine receptors in the brain. And basically what adenosine does, it stimulates relaxation and sedentary behaviors or feelings of relaxation. And uh, what caffeine does, it acts on the receptors for adenosine and therefore stimulates alertness rather than relaxation. Mm. So it prevents those feelings of relaxation from occurring yeah so adenosine it is a molecule that we naturally produce within our bodies and it actually builds up throughout the day and as the day goes on naturally you start to feel a little bit more tired and then at night you fall asleep those adenosine molecules then break down you feel awake again and the cycle continues so it's certainly part of your circadian rhythm and your sleep-wake cycle it has a role to play with melatonin as well but interestingly when adenosine it binds to its specific adenosine receptor caffeine it has the same molecular structure as adenosine so if you go off and fill yourself up with a few caffeinated beverages then that caffeine is absorbed into your bloodstream and can move around your body and sometimes it can get to the adenosine receptors a little bit quicker than adenosine itself and because adenosine it's usually involved in making us feel just that little bit gradually more tired as the day goes on those feelings can be blunted and then as a result what's the opposite of feeling tired you feel a little bit more alert and awake and less fatigued and more aroused so yeah it's kind of the way that caffeine works so If you think of adenosine as a relaxant, then the opposite of that would be a stimulant. Lo and behold, caffeine. Yeah, and I think definitely people respond to caffeine differently. Uh, And I think part of that is undoubtedly genetic. Um, We know those people who can have some a cup of coffee before they go to bed and it won't interfere with their sleep. So they say. (laughs) Yeah, well, if they can even get to sleep after that, then I'm very impressed. But... I guess for people like you and you and I, if we try and have caffeine after midday, then it will interfere with our sleep quality. And um, the reality is that it probably would do the same for the majority of people. Um, So those like our recommendation is to try not to have any caffeine after midday if you want to optimize sleep quality to the highest extent. Mm. 
Um, so personally, I like have some coffee upon waking and then I think maybe uh, like two, like an hour and a half, two hours after that, I'll have some pre-workout as well and like that'll get me going and then I won't have anything else. Even in prep, like in the depths of prep, like towards the end, I'll, I still won't have any caffeine after midday because it's just not worth it for me considering how poor my sleep already is and at that stage. Mm-hmm. And they say the recommendations for caffeine to actually improve exercise performance are to have three to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight about an hour prior to training. And I'd say even the combination of your instant coffee and your pre-workout, you probably still wouldn't even be reaching that six milligram per kilo mark quite. You'd probably be around like the maybe four or five. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't be at six. Mm. I think one thing I do find interesting is I'm definitely more responsive to caffeine at a higher body weight or consuming more energy, um, which is interesting. And it means I can spend less money on instant coffee and pre-workout, which is good. Mm. But wouldn't that make sense? Because I guess what you're comparing it to is when you're like in the depths of prep and you're just tired overall. So you feel like you really need a really good kick of something to Mm. get you fired up. Yeah, undoubtedly, for sure. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean to just be a little bit more alert or awake or have slightly better concentration that you need that three to six milligrams per kilo even one to two milligrams per kilogram of body weight can actually help people in terms of just their productivity at work or just kind of just feeling a little bit more perked up. So what that would look like is literally a cup of green tea around like a bag of green tea might have around 50 to 70 milligrams of caffeine in it. Like one teaspoon of instant coffee probably has around 100 milligrams of caffeine in it. And obviously you can go a little bit overboard and it can really disrupt the way that you do feel because adenosine, it also acts on our heart and the SA node in our heart, which actually controls the electrical activity and the impulses within our heart. And it actually helps as you can imagine as the day goes on and you're feeling more relaxed with actually like relaxing the muscle tone there and almost slowing down your heart rate. But because caffeine is an adenosine antagonist, if you have too much caffeine, that's probably why you actually get those heart palpitations and you actually have a faster heart rate. So you can certainly cross a line where that feels remarkably unpleasant. And I'm sure we've all been in a position at some point where we've had a little bit too much caffeine and we do feel like we're quite anxious and we are having those heart palpitations. And boy, it's not pleasant. And if for some type of athletes, it's actually a negative consequence to their sporting performance, especially if they have to be like very still and very focused. So think of an athlete like a professional shooter who has to be down there on the ground with his target so dead still to shoot a target that's 400 meters away, right in the bullseye. Or like a dart player who has to be so specific and his hand can't be shaking at all, like his heart can't be pumping out of his chest. So it's not for all athletes that you would recommend the higher dosages of caffeine. There's certainly a sweet spot if you actually go down toward the lower dosages too sometimes. Yeah, I've I've probably seen more harm than good for myself going up to six milligrams because we have to also remember that like that was done in like clinical research. It's not 
just because it was done and that was the recommendation they got from those in studies doesn't mean it's applicable to everyone there's mm-hmm. going to be individualization just like anything else yeah i was an absolute coffee fanatic back in university and i actually never had my first coffee until i was 19 and jack and i had just met and we were studying for some exams together and i was feeling a bit tired and jack's like do you want a coffee and i'm like I've never had the stuff <laughs> and you made me an instant coffee and boy having my first cup of coffee in my life I uh, had a very productive study session and a really good leg session that afternoon. Mm. I literally felt like I was on drugs. So, yeah, well, technically caffeine, it is what somewhat of a drug, isn't it? I I guess so. <laughs> yeah, it's a stimulant. Yeah, but I loved it and I still love coffee, but I only hold myself to one a day now. But I actually did a lot of research on caffeine. I did a lot of my assignments willingly on caffeine back in university, which I just found fascinating. And I actually did this study once looking at whether or not caffeine could improve bench press performance among females. Long story short, yes, it does, but only up to that six milligram per kilogram mark. They had different groups where they had like no caffeine, three milligrams, six milligrams, and they gave one group nine milligrams of caffeine and they wrote in the study per that kilo, <laughs> I think we should yeah identify. nine milligrams of caffeine per kilogram of body weight so boy like for a 60 kilogram female that's what 540 milligrams of caffeine that's over half a gram of caffeine anyway in the study they were talking about how these females were trying to bench press but some of them were just bursting out in tears because they were so emotional and anxious and they were actually crying during the study that doesn't sound like it's going to help you hit a PB. <laughs> so yeah, definitely go like start toward the lower end and then taper it up, I'd say. But it definitely stimulates you. Mm. Well, there, there is a second part to this question or another question we received, which is also on the topic of caffeine. Mm, and this one's actually related to digestion. So it says, how does caffeine affect digestion? Should coffee be consumed away from food? Yeah, interesting question. And there's definitely a few avenues we can go down with this one. Like we have to think about what caffeine is actually doing. And since it acts like part of it is acting on the adenosine receptors, then you wouldn't think that would interfere with uh, your digestion too much. But I think something else to consider is maybe the uh, the nervous system that is it's playing on. So it's playing on the sympathetic nervous system, whereas digestion is more efficient in the parasympathetic nervous system. So maybe that could potentially interfere with digestion. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of it is based on the individual, like how much caffeine you are consuming as well. The other thing to consider here as well is like how many people wake up and have a cup of coffee for one specific purpose. Like (laughs) I think many of us do that. Yeah. And you know, they've done studies on that to see like, what is it about coffee that just makes people poop? And is it just coffee? Is it the caffeine in coffee? Like what is it? And they haven't come to a definitive answer yet because what they've identified is it's not necessarily just caffeinated coffee. Even decaffeinated coffee can make people go to the bathroom. I have a feeling that it's it's very multifactorial. Mm. You know, like first thing when you wake up in the morning, what do you do? You usually hydrate yourself and you fill yourself up with some fluid, usually in the form of some warm coffee. We know that one, gastric motility rates are faster in the earlier hours of the day. 
and so is gastric emptying as well. And we also know that more fluid volume or even more food volume within your stomach, that can actually increase the rate of gastric emptying too. So I think that there's just something going on there when like that, all those things combined. And it's just a matter of fact that, oh, you wake up in the morning and you have a coffee, but also your bowels are pretty much ready to go anyway too. So Mm. there's just correlation. We don't necessarily know if it's causation though. Hey guys, just a reminder that we offer coaching services, which you can find on our website by searching the Bodybuilding Dietitians on Google or via the show notes below. We coach anyone with a health and fitness related goal. Yeah, I think also after X amount of time, like people have undoubtedly conditioned themselves. Oh yeah. Yeah, after like how many years have we been doing? I've been doing it for many, many years. So there's undoubtedly an element of conditioning there where sometimes you even just have to smell the coffee and then mm. you run to the bathroom. So <laughs> Some people only have to flick on the kettle and they're like, oh, ready to go. You know, <laughs> they know it's coming. So there's certainly a psychological component to that too. Mm. Or for example, like I've had conversations with people before who like, you know, it's almost like we psychologically condition ourselves into thinking that, oh, caffeine will help me go to the bathroom. So let's say you're having a day where your digestion just was a little bit off and it gets to the afternoon and you're like, oh, I'm just feeling a bit uncomfortable. I haven't gone to the bathroom yet. Some people almost try to use drinking some coffee or whether that be caffeinated or decaffeinated as a little bit of a trick to hopefully, you know, get like pass a stool. So that's also another thing too. But again, to know whether or not that's the coffee, whether or not that's the caffeine, whether that's you just psychologically convincing yourself that, ooh, if I have this thing, then this thing will happen. Mm. So could even be a, a bit of a placebo. Yeah. Well, I think placebo is kind of similar to conditioning in a mm. sense, I think. But yeah, it's definitely an interesting topic. But to get back to the question itself, like I... Obviously, I think if you're having like six milligrams per kilo and you then eat a meal, like it's not going to be that great for digestion purely from the standpoint is you'll be well and truly into the sympathetic state, Mm -hmm. which isn't great for digestion. But for example, people have a cup of coffee, maybe at breakfast at a cafe, like I don't really see that interfering with digestion. But there it depends also the modality or the mechanism at which you're consuming caffeine. Like if you're having a carbonated energy drink with some food, it's probably not going to be that great for your digestion or potentially having something like caffeine, which can uh, promote acid reflux. Like it mm. really just depends on the individual and how they respond to certain things. Mm-hmm. And even though it acts on obviously our more sympathetic nervous system rather than parasympathetic nervous system, perhaps something there where it's obviously stimulating us, it's elevating our heart rate, it's getting us ready to do something. Uh, some something there must happen where like you almost want to empty your bowels as well like let's say that it's it's in the morning and you're just about to go to the gym and train legs or something like that and you might have a coffee like even though you're feeling more sympathetically activated you'll go to the bathroom anyway almost because you're like uh, like you almost feel a little bit nervous and anxious or Mm. somewhat like (laughs) i personally don't know how to exactly explain it but it happens. I, I drink my coffee within half an hour of eating breakfast. Mm. It doesn't interfere with my di- digestion. So Yeah, but again, I think we're some, somewhat here using the word caffeine and coffee synonymously. But mm. even when you have pre-workout, you know, and there was even a reel. 
<laughs> Do you remember that reel that you showed me on Instagram about the guy who showed you many reels on Instagram? I know, and the majority of them all have dogs. But this reel where this guy like chugs his pre-workout and he's saying hey to someone, he's oh, like, yeah. hey, oh, gotta go, and he just like runs into the bathroom and it's just it's. <laughs> yeah. So people even experience it with pre-workout. Apparently, it doesn't even have to be hot. So maybe there is something to the caffeine, man. Mm. Yeah, there's. I've. Yeah, I won't go down that. Oh, road. we've gone down quite a few roads here. <laughs> no, it's all good. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but what about? It's not just it's digestion, but we know that if we're talking solely about coffee, coffee does contain some tannins, which can interfere with the absorption of certain micronutrients. So that's certainly related to digestion. Yeah, I think there's not too much else to I've exhausted all my points of view on caffeine and digestion like I think my point of view just like many other aspects of nutrition is try it and because I often relate digestion to how comfortable is your digestion and your regularity with the bathroom potentially we could like broaden that to the absorption of micronutrients as well and as you said probably not a good idea to be having coffee within the vicinity of a meal if you really want to maximize the the uptake of of particular particular minerals like calcium and iron and stuff mm-hmm. like that yeah particularly iron but the only time i can think that if someone's responsibly drinking their coffee let's hope this is in the morning and let's say they're having like a really iron rich meal something like a steak you'd have to be making like a steak or a steak omelet or something like that for breakfast per se mm. but it, what about dairy like uh no like caffeine has very little influence on how much calcium we can actually absorb so yeah. So it's mainly iron. Yeah, it is. It is mainly iron. That's why it's recommended that if you are taking iron supplements, don't take those first thing in the morning with your cup of joe because, yeah, there's going to be a lot of interference going on there. <laughs> it's quite a cool term there, cup of joe. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, you guys heard it here first, but hopefully that was enough, uh, you know, rambling on about all things caffeinated beverages. Jack, this next question, it says... What are some tips for eating on a meal plan while traveling? Hashtag prep life. Mm, good question. And I think we've both done this before. Mm. I think the short answer is that it is can be difficult and it just requires a lot of preparation and a lot of planning um, to get it done. So I think we can use ourselves as an example. Like mm-hmm. we went to nationals uh, for season a in 2021 and we i think bought a small amount of food but we had to prepare a lot of the food there as well oh i don't know if we brought a small amount i remember us taking two suitcases one had some clothes in it and some trunks and heels the other ones was just filled with protein and oats (laughs) Mm. i think we also basically got to sydney we got the rental car and basically went straight to woolworths Mm and purchase the food that we need Mm. so that's what we tend to do and we always try and book a location which has access to a kitchen like i remember we always try and scout out the places close to the venue like this was uh held at in rudy hill in in Mm -hmm. sydney and there was like a novotel right at the venue but sure we could have done the stayed at the novotel which is really convenient literally just a one minute walk but the downside of that is it only has, has a kettle and a microwave. Like mm. there's no way we're going to be staying there and prep if that's the only utensils we yeah. have. So we, I'm not microwaving my kangaroo. I'm mm. frying that thing up in a pan. <laughs> yeah. 
And so that's our choice. We try and stay at an Airbnb, which ends up being cheaper. It has a kitchen, can buy some food, bring our own food. But there totally are competitors I know of who uh, will stay at the hotel and will meal prep absolutely everything uh, the, the days leading up to it, mm-hmm. which is sounds very daunting to me and unpleasant, which I wouldn't want to do. Oh, yeah. But I, I think that there's definitely two parts to it. So if you are traveling, I guess here we're talking about domestic travel. You and I, we've never traveled overseas for shows yet. But domestic travel... I don't think it would change too much. Because you can bring food on an airplane. Yeah, but you got to eat it on the airplane. Like, once you go through quarantine, like, there, it is questionable. Like, what are you trying to bring into my country? And you're like, it's (laughs) gunpowder. Anyone get my reference? (laughs) No, sorry. Protein powder. It's gunpowder? Maybe pre-workout. Flex? Oh, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Or a little bit of a sprinkle of those creatines. Anyway... (laughs) Uh, brings back memories from Hawaii because we actually did take creatine and protein powder over to Hawaii. Uh, but I'd say if you're traveling like domestically, what I would recommend doing is actually bringing more like dry ingredients in your suitcase. So that's where things that you commonly eat. So your protein powder for us, it'd be like egg white powder, things like your oats, your rice, your cereals, your rice cakes, whatever you might like, because if you already have those things at your house, then you can just take those down in your suitcase and you don't have to go to a supermarket when you arrive there and buy all of these things. So it's really those dry ingredients. Also, like if you're on a meal plan, you kind of know exactly what you're going to eat. So if you're tight for space, then you can just portion out exactly how much you need. So you can portion out, oh, I'm going to need about 200 grams of protein powder total, or I'm going to need about like 500 grams of oats total whatever it may be. So you can just portion those things out and take them down with you. And then once you actually arrive, that's when I would recommend probably buying the cool items. So things like your frozen vegetables and your meats while you're down there. So you kind of get a little bit of the best of both worlds because yeah, just just take advantage of it because there's no point in doubling up Mm. either. I think it comes down to what's going to be the easiest thing for you. Like, as I mentioned before, some people will find it easier just to, okay, I'm going to make everything today. I'm going to make 20 meals. I'm going to bring it with me frozen on the airplane or whatever. Mm. And then I'm just going to store them. While, and then while you're down there, you don't have to think about meal prepping or making food or buying food, which I can definitely see the appeal in. Um, but for us, like we prefer to make it while down there and run out an airbnb and stuff yeah yeah it's good that's actually smart like some people do freeze certain things and then take them down and obviously it can defrost so you can eat it while you're there or at least you can freeze certain things and then have other things that would normally be refrigerated like <laughs> i i've personally traveled with cartons of eggs before because i'm just that stingy i'm like there's eggs in the fridge i'll take them down to melbourne um but <laughs> I don't know about you. They didn't crack. You could boil them, I guess. But if you have things that are like refrigerated, you could put those next to the things that are frozen and then they would still stay cool on the flight, which I think would be really good. But also the great thing is when it comes to a meal plan, like you already know exactly what you're going to eat rather than just totally free balling it with flexible dieting and just having those three macros to kind of play with. That's a little bit too much of a headache for me personally, at least in a peak week. But also if you're following a meal plan, like use the KISS principle, I'd say, like keep it simple, stupid. So even if you're normally at home and you're used to making these like big burrito bowls with like 20 different ingredients or 
Each night you'll make yourself a prep pizza on some sort of wrap or Lebanese bread with another like 20 sort of ingredients. Yeah, those things are nice, maybe a few weeks out from comp, but when it comes to peak week and if you're traveling, I'd recommend just try to keep things as basic as possible. So basically in your meal, you have a whole grain, you got some vegetables, you have a lean source of protein, and you have some dietary fat. So literally what that could look like is some chicken breast with some rice with a mixed thing of frozen vegetables from the supermarket and like a big dollop of avocado or peanut butter. Super duper flippin' simple. Yeah, I think keeping it simple is certainly uh, the best thing to do because mm-hmm. you probably have a lot going on um, when you're down at the show location and you don't want to spend a heap of time worrying about food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Plus, or especially when you're already super food focused as well. Yeah, exactly. Like, you, again, you don't need to give yourself head spins or a headache. And if it's on a plan, I would recommend probably just trying to eat the same thing every single day. So you don't have to buy all of these crazy ingredients either. And you might just have to make some sacrifices too. Like, yeah, you could take down a little thing of cinnamon or something for your oats. But like, if you're used to going extravaganza with the spices and you've got like 10 different spices again on your burrito bowl or on your meat at night or something like that, a little bit of salt and pepper and rosemary, just just enjoy it. It probably tastes good to your taste buds at that point anyway. <laughs> but that's for domestic. I think it would be a different thing if you were traveling internationally because uh, it depends on where you're going internationally like if you're going to the u.s or canada that'd probably be a very different story compared to if you were competing in japan yeah that's a very good point <laughs> what the heck would we eat for our protein sources that week well yeah they have packaged chicken i think yeah but they've got a packaged a lot of other animals too so mm. we've got to read the macros as well somehow <laughs> yeah learning japanese that week yeah, it would certainly be interesting, but I'm looking forward to heading to the U.S. Mm-hmm. That'll certainly make our food fa- focus even greater upon mm-hmm. arrival and r- walking through Walmart or uh, Whole Foods. Yeah, it will be fun. But, you know, you hear people who go over there, like, you kind of have to buy, like, a rice cooker or something while you're over there. You can cook a lot more in a rice cooker than just rice, you know? You can also, you learned recently, you can cook rice in a microwave. <laughs> yes, I can, from you. Yeah. <laughs> People also boil eggs in kettles. People do a lot of crazy shiz, man. There's a, if there's a will, there's a way. So what, do you just hold down the boil button for ages mm. so it keeps boiling? I would imagine that you'd boil the water first and then you'd put the egg in it and then, yeah. And you'd just let the egg sit there. I don't know how it works. You'd have to hold down the boil so it keeps boiling and boiling. Perhaps. Maybe we got to try this out. But maybe, like, we'll just have to get a cheap kettle from Kmart because good chance that the eggs are going to crack in there. Hey guys, just a reminder that we post regular informative content on both our Instagram and YouTube channel. So make sure to go over to those platforms and search The Bodybuilding Dietitians. See you there. Anyway, what's the next question? Okay, so I think this will be the last one for the day. It says, what are your thoughts on mini cuts versus a longer deficit? when leaning down for a holiday or an event? Well, I think you're a good person to ask because you're doing this. You're leaning down for a, a sort of an event like the season A show season. Mm-hmm. And we've also got a holiday coming up as well. Yeah. And But I think your, also, your situation as well kind of 
is this the disclaimer that I'll put on it. Whereas your your sole reason for leaning down is not because of the season, but because it's part of your bodybuilding plan and your bodybuilding journey. So that'll be the first thing that I would probably ask the individual is like, uh, are you leaning down solely for the purpose of this event or for the holiday? Or are you, is there another reason you're leaning down as well? Like, does it coincide with your uh, your sport endeavors or your sporting mm. goals. Thank you for that disclaimer. Cause mm. yeah, it did just conveniently work out at a really nice time for me where I reached a peak off season weight. And then it was just like, well, this is an appropriate time to implement a dieting phase anyway. But mm. I wouldn't even say I'm not in a mini cut right now. I'm certain I'm just in a dieting phase. Mm. Like it's semi aggressive, but it's not as aggressive in the sense that I'm aiming to lose like 1.5% of my body weight every single week for four to six weeks sort of thing. I'm yeah. dieting for 10 weeks. So I'd say that's past the point of <laughs> doing an aggressive mini cut. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think often people misuse the word mini cut for sure. Mm. And it would probably dictate on like your experiencing your experience as a dieter and also how much weight you want to lose and whether you're a physique athlete. Like I don't think mini cuts really have to be used for people who aren't physique athletes. Mm. It's much more comfortable just to do a, a more standard diet and which you can still be pretty aggressive at, but it doesn't have to be at quite the same level as a mini cut, which are quite quite aggressive indeed, like losing between one to 1.5% of your body weight for four to, four to six weeks. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately like, you can achieve a decent amount of body comp change in that time, but it's not going to be as much as a more prolonged deficit. Mm-hmm. And I would say the main purpose of a mini cut is to uh, like resensitize appetite, but also just to drop a, uh, a moderate amount of body fat for the beginning of a new gaining phase. Yeah. I think that mini cuts really are reserved for a special subset of individuals, particularly larger individuals who are really pushing their body weight and as a result they usually have to eat quite a copious amount of food compared to the average person so i i'd say that mini cuts if anything like that they really are misused i'd say in terms of terminology in the fitness industry someone's like Mm. yeah you know doing a mini cut sort of thing it's like are you actually doing a mini cut (laughs) Mm. Because a lot of people, you make a good point, a lot of people, even when they're gaining, are on still not enough food to actually lower their food and increase their expenditure enough to um, to lose that much weight each week. Like, yeah. I don't think I'll even be, I think AJ's plan for me is not even to mini-cut. I think we'll do like a six to eight week diet mm. at a more moderate pace rather than a mini-cut. Because we also got to think about progression in the gym as well. Like, how is it going to affect your performance? Yeah, I mm. can confidently say that I don't think I've ever put one of my female athletes through an actual mini cut where I'm like, we've got a deadline in six weeks. We've got to slash one and a half thousand calories away from your maintenance calories to try to lose around 1.5% of your body weight per week or somewhere around there. Like it's a very, very short, but aggressive diet. But if you plan to do that, you've got to be starting off from a really high base of calories where your maintenance is upwards of like three and a half, four thousand calories that when you drop down, you're only dieting on closer to two thousand calories rather than taking a relatively small female who, yeah, maybe she got her calories up to two thousand five hundred, but an aggressive mini cut will definitely be sub fifteen hundred. Yeah, it's it's just not necessary. Like, Yeah. yeah, you don't have to be that aggressive. Like you can just plan ahead and literally just 
Just bring back, bring back the old-fashioned dieting. <laughs> mm. Old-fashioned dieting. That sounds like fad dieting. To bring me. it back into fashion. <laughs> yeah, I think we basically answered that question. We definitely favor the standard, more long-term approach for dieting. Mm. Of like, even if, and I often look at it in terms of percentages as well. So let's say you want to lose, let's say someone weighs eighty kilos and they want to lose ten percent of their body weight. That's mm. eight kilos. Then around 1% of that per week would be around like eight weeks of dieting, eight to 10 weeks. Mm, yeah, I'd say mini cuts should really only be reserved for if it's appropriate for a large individual eating a lot of food who kind of just wants to get in, get out, drop a decent amount of body weight because he can take advantage of that without sacrificing a lot of his health. Or if it just comes down to really poor planning, you know, you're like, oh, I really got to fit into my wedding dress in six weeks. And I just, I've, I've let, I've cut it short. I'm willing to be really aggressive for these next six weeks for a specific event. Then that would be the case. But I'd really advocate for people just thinking a little bit further ahead. And uh, also like anecdotally, if you aren't as aggressive during a dieting phase, you're a lot less likely to have any sort of negative rebounds. Like physiologically and psychologically as well and just more likely to just enjoy the process and if you don't feel like you're digging yourself into the ground your training is a hell of a lot more mm. enjoyable too you're also a more enjoyable person to be around as well would you ever die i don't think i've, I've never died actually i have dieted for a holiday um so i can actually say this from experience mm -hmm. uh, but I, I i don't think i ever want to diet for a holiday again because I I leaned up, but this was back in like 2015 when I didn't have a great relationship with food and I dieted for a holiday to look better on the holiday or perceived my perceived look of better. And I ended up just over overeating too much on the holiday to an unhealthy extent, mm. a mentally unhealthy extent, not a physically unhealthy. Um, and I felt like crap. Um, and now like we're going on holiday in, to Bali and I'm making, I told my coach AJ, hey, when I don't want to diet at all before the holiday because mm. I know I'll be in the best headspace if I don't diet because I'll enjoy myself more on the holiday. Yeah, I don't think by memory that I've ever purposely dieted for a holiday before. Perhaps conveniently we've gone on a holiday like after we've finished a big dieting phase. Like I remember after well, our very- you prepped on a holiday? Like in Noosa and stuff. Oh, yeah, I've prepped on a holiday. But again, that's that's so simple because it's our lifestyle anyway. Mm. And we always stay at somewhere with a nice kitchen and bring our own suitcase full of food. But I think it's only ever happened conveniently. Like our very first prep, we finished around May. We went through all of our exams. And then we went to Noosa in June. I think so. Yeah, so that was fun. But I definitely didn't diet mm. or prep yes, for that holiday. Yes, that, yeah. Yeah. That was only for a couple of days though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So back when I, that was my, I remember a lot of back pain at that time. <laughs> I remember some gnarly veins on that walk, <laughs> but a good breakfast buffet as well. Yeah, it was. But at the same time, like even we're going on a holiday to club med in May, but I'm wrapping up my diet early April. So I'll be well reversed into that. I feel like ever since I've fully invested myself as a physique athlete and in this industry, like this is what I love and this is what I do and this is my passion, this is what I live and breathe. Ultimately, whenever it comes to dieting, it's dieting with a purpose. And it's just looking at my future goals of where I wanna take my physique. And that's really the sole reason why I would ever implement a dieting phase. It's clearly just to manipulate my physique for the long-term goal of standing on stage at my absolute best. 
that's the only reason it's never ever correlated around like a photo shoot or a holiday or anything like that not that those things are wrong but yeah. i guess it's all about as i keep saying the individual yeah people can do what they want but i feel like that's obviously some people's goals right they want to diet for a photo shoot they want to diet for a holiday but you and i we want to step on stage at our absolute best in a year and a half's time so that's the ultimate goal that has to trump everything mm, indeed glad we're like-minded in that respect but that's pretty much it for this episode. And we're going to end on something that we learned this week, as per usual. All right. Well, I'm going to let you kick off first. Well, something I learned, again, something about food. I think last week I spoke about the cereal. This week I'm talking about peanut butter. Have you ever had the dark roasted peanut butter? Can't say I have. Well, I've learned that that's better than regular peanut butter. So It's pretty subjective. Well, in my opinion, of course. Which some people say is objective okay well what's so much better about it uh well have you ever had like a, a roasted peanut versus a normal peanut mm, yeah or i remember you and your family used to roast almonds mm. yeah roasted nuts are much better far superior to regular nuts mm-hmm. raw nuts as some people say and activated yeah activated almonds you know <laughs> but yeah i learned that you can buy dark roasted nut butter raw peanut butter where mm. the peanuts have been roasted and it tastes delicious yeah well and it was diet. on special at Woolworths last week hence i bought it delicious well post diet i'm gonna have to try that yeah roasting almonds smells so good also something that people forget is that dissecting coconut yeah it's really nice to sprinkle on Dissected. your food and stuff but those little coconut shavings but if you actually put those coconut shavings in a non-stick pan and a frying pan no, they don't melt. They're saturated fat, brother. Like, you'd have to be super duper high heat. No, because it's it's the shavings from the coconut. So it still has, like, the fiber. And oh, right. A I bit. thought you meant, like, solid shavings of... um. No, dissected coconut, coconut shavings. But if you put it into a frying pan and you actually make, like, kind of brown it, one, the smell is just incredible, but also tastes even better, too. Mm. So that's a little trick for you can tell you're dieting. <laughs> Becoming a little bit more food focused. Mm. Well, the thing that I learned this week is also about food because on my VPA egg every single morning, I love spice. I love chili. So like the spicier, the better. And I love cheese too. But what I've been doing is I've been putting like chili flakes and then hot paprika. And then I also put the Byron Bay jalapeno chili sauce as well. But that Byron Bay chili sauce, it's it's decently expensive. It's like 250 mils a bottle and it's like $4.50. And I'm like, treat yourself. You know, I really like it. But what I've discovered is that salsa, just regular like Doritos salsa, macro wise is just as good. They still have the hot ones. And like, if you actually read the ingredient list, ain't half bad. I'd give that a dietitian tick of approval. Salsa is well, basically just vegetables. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. And it's spicy and it tastes nice, but also it's you get a larger volume and it's cheaper so like for 300 mil jar it's only like two dollars fifty so you get more for like half the price so Mm. this past week i ran out of my byron bay jalapeno sauce and started putting a little bit of salsa on my egg only drizzle on like 20 grams so it's like the tiniest amount but everyone you don't really drizzle salsa on though do you okay i dollop it Mm. you can't really drizzle unless like it's pureed salsa Mm. Yeah, I think salsa is much better than, in my opinion, of course, 
better than like sriracha sauce and peri peri sauce. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. Salsa is good. Yeah, mm. it's good. Anyway, that's it for this episode. If you enjoyed listening, and if you agree that uh, salsa is better than sriracha, then please rate this episode five stars. <laughs> and also repost it if you enjoyed listening. Uh, you can tag myself, tag TBD, tag Tierra uh, on Instagram. And we'll catch you later this week, maybe for a road to 23. If not, then our usual Q&A. Bye. <laughs>